0: Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others, so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hello everyone and welcome. Uh, this is Elia with the Spectrum Strategy Group, and um, today uh, I have Peter Hahn with me again, and um, I'm really excited, Peter. Welcome to, uh, to being with me again. Good morning. Glad to be here again. Excellent. So um, I think, you know, wanting to bring you back <laughs> is sort of a um, as a result of speaking with families um, and uh, some concerns, uh, even with, you know, some of the adults that I've been working with uh, about kind of getting, I mean, I'm going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I will try not to, but kind of getting into some, you know, challenges and, and trouble with the law, um, on kind of two sides. One would be the side of, um, you know, falling, you know, victim to, um, all these kind of things that happen outside. And and I'm particularly focusing on the online piece, but I think this can happen in face-to-face too. Um, And then also on the other side, getting in trouble with the law because of maybe some naivete around the law, or maybe not fully understanding what the consequences of actions might be, um, or being told maybe by other people that it's one thing, but it might be really something else. And um, so as, as we go into that path, I just kind of want to tee up what our conversation is going to look like. Uh, for those who may not have listened to your last podcast, which I strongly suggest people do around special ed law, especially during COVID time. Um, Can you give everyone a little bit of background around who you are? And I know you do special ed law, but maybe a little bit more on some of your other areas of specialty.
1: Yes, that sounds great, Ilya. I did speak before in the podcast about special education, but I do represent children and families and individuals with disabilities more broadly in other areas of the law. So, Uh, These topics are right up in my wheelhouse, and I'm very interested in them, especially with the population that uh, you particularly uh, focus uh, your advocacy on. So I do represent clients in criminal matters and juvenile court matters and what we call here in Massachusetts harassment prevention order matters, which are like restraining orders, but you don't have to have a domestic relationship and other areas of the law, whether it's the Child Welfare Agency, DCF, Department of Children and Families here in Massachusetts, uh, getting involved with a family. And I do often uh, have clients, whether they're uh, children, whether they're adults, uh, somewhere on the autism spectrum and they can find themselves in a bit of trouble sometimes for various reasons. Or, as you say, on uh, the other end, they could be victims or being taken advantage of uh, based on uh, their profile. So I am happy to go through all of these possibilities and answer any questions that you have related to any of the different areas where uh, these people, whether they're children, young adults or even older adults, may find themselves in.
0: That's great. Yeah, and I I think of um one particular story that struck me and this was years back. Um and there was so so a student was um young adult, freshman in college and uh a whole bunch of kids and this was well, this was pre-legalization of marijuana, so I will preface that in Massachusetts. Um, but they go to they go to college, and you know, really kind of lonely. You know how that first semester can be, and they get asked to hang with a group of other you know, students, and they are all smoking, um, you know, marijuana, and they they all of a sudden they say, Hey man, can you hold this for us? And he was like, yeah, sure. No problem. And, but really going out of the sense of I'm lonely and I really want to hang out with people and they're inviting me. So they must want to be my friend. Um, And really what ended up happening was this student got caught with possession and the other, (laughs) the other kids basically left, left him holding the bag. So quite literally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. and, and it struck me because, you know, I mean, I think the, the school um, understood his profile, which was helpful, um, and parents, you know, helped to explain, and uh, they were able to mitigate a little bit, but I, I really think, you know, the, the, the student didn't get thrown out of school, yay. Um, but, you know, there were some ramifications to that, regardless of it, you know, not being his fault, in quotes, you know. So, it makes you feel really like, oh, gosh, you know, I get all of it. And um, in some senses, we want to say, well, it was just a mistake. He really didn't understand. But on the other hand, the law is the law, right? So and and that if that situation would be different now, um, in some states, but, um, you know, that's the kind of thing that I want people to be alerted to, and whether, again, they're adults or parents or educators really thinking about, wow, this can happen to my student, or this could happen to me, and or maybe it has happened to me, and fortunately, I've been okay. So, um, you know, can we talk a little bit about, I mean, that's just one scenario, but but do you find that there are particular areas that um, our kids kind of get caught in a little bit more than others?
1: I'll start with that scenario that you discussed. So from a legal perspective, you're thinking student discipline, and this is in higher education in your example, and then also whether the police are involved or could be involved. Fortunately, it sounds like in your situation, there was a great understanding of the vulnerability of that young adult who was in that situation and the administration at the college, was willing to see that as a mitigating factor and not expelling the student. What I find in my practice in a number of areas of the law, especially where you're not necessarily with people who are dealing with people with disabilities all the time, is that there's a lot of education that needs to happen, whether it's more systemic and institutional, proactive education uh, of people in schools colleges and elsewhere but even police departments and i've spoken on this before also in in massachusetts uh there is an effort to have trainings of police departments so they are better aware of uh, people they encounter with mental health issues more generally but uh People who are on the autism spectrum, uh, more specifically. And that has really helped out in terms of interactions uh, that people could have with the police. So it really does come down to education. In your example, it sounds like in that individual scenario, the parents uh, came into the picture, were able to describe what was necessary to provide the right context for the situation and basically explain that this young adult was taken advantage of socially uh, in the situation so that he looked more culpable than the other students, even though he wasn't. And so that ultimately with that context led to a greater understanding of the situation and hopefully a more equitable result for the student from a discipline perspective uh police it sounds like the police didn't get involved there but that can happen yeah, no, too it didn't.
0: yeah yep, yeah yeah sure.
1: and i would say generally the police uh are more difficult to Explain that context when you're in it rather than if if they had already been trained, uh, for example. But some people are more sensitive to others. And whether you have an attorney involved, of course, if the police are involved, I recommend that you have an attorney involved. You have that attorney or whoever uh, try to give that context or explain that context.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I should Um, I should also. Yeah, go mm -hmm. ahead.
1: I'm going to shift away from this example. So if there's something that you wanted to say about that example.
0: No, no, I was just going to say, I should also preface it that the student was in a program designed for students with special needs, particularly ASD, ADHD. Um, you know, students who needed an an additional support program within the college. So that made, I think, a huge difference. So to your point about more systemic education from specifically here in Higher Education Institute, they already had a good background on their students that were in this program. So, you know, again, if this had been another school, um, it might not have worked this way for sure. So that is that is an important point uh, to make here. Yep. So, but yes, move on to, um, you know, my other question.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You were talking about potential online scenarios.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Is that what you'd like to discuss?
0: Yeah, sure. Let's, let's go there, especially now with people spending way more time online than I think we have before.
1: Right. You can really get into hot water online, people in general, but certainly, uh, uh, children and adults on the autism spectrum, when you're talking about uh, social skills type issues, uh, relative immaturity when it comes to those types of things, being vulnerable to wanting to be part of the group and possibly entertaining, doing things to be or ma- maintain your inclusion in that group that you might not otherwise do. And then Sometimes there can be perseverative or compulsive behavior or impulsive behavior or a combination of all those things uh, that can get a person on the spectrum into trouble online, uh, whether it's being a victim or someone who could be perceived as an aggressor or a perpetrator, even though that is not the intent uh, of the person uh, on the spectrum. So, I've seen everything from looking at inappropriate images, if not pornography, online. I've had that pop up. I've seen a restraining order or harassment prevention order type things when someone may perceive uh, the suitor, if you will, uh, as uh, being a stalker instead. And it could just be two very different perspectives on the situation. Uh, but you have one who sees it much more significantly and then uh, could potentially go to the police or go to the court to address that situation. Uh, You have people who are vulnerable in a sense, almost like an analogy to what you were saying with your situation with the young adult in college, but online, people being taken advantage of and doing things that they shouldn't do. simply because it's related in some way to their profile. And if the person doesn't have the skills or the, the supervision or both, uh, that may be necessary to guide this person through a difficult social world online, uh, then they that could lead them to trouble.
0: Yeah, no, and I think, okay, so that that actually did really highlight the, um, I guess some of the 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 hot topics that I think come up for mm-hmm. uh, many of our, um, many of our kids. Um, and I say kids in a broad sense, because that can include adults as well. Um, but, you know, I would say um, with the, the I guess the stalking um, kind of misinterpretation or miscommunication, sometimes that can happen. Um, I just wanted to elaborate. I know I worked with um, an adult client where, um, you know, the she was uh she had met someone at a group and um she thought they hit it off really well and she assumed in th- in their conversation that there was um you know this connection this very strong connection and so she would text the other person Incessantly. Um, And, you know, it was, you know, 20, 30 texts a day and not getting, you know, responses because the other person was like, what is happening here? This is not now these are two people on spectrum, right? And so we have two very different understandings of what is happening. Um, The other person felt very Um, you know violated and very like they she was being intrusive and all those things and I totally understand that perspective Um, but then from this young woman's perspective of sending all the messages she was like well what's happening and then that anxiety kind of right you were talking about obsessing and the perseveration on why why aren't they answering me and why aren't I getting the feedback I thought we hit it off and then that was part of the narrative in the text so that just was kind of hitting both of them really strongly. So that would be a scenario that you're talking about here where someone might have um, a restraining order on the other person. Would that fit that category?
1: That could fit that category. Specifically in Massachusetts, you have to have a uh, some type of domestic relationship. I'm Defining that more broadly, but usually that is a dating relationship or someone you're related to by marriage or by blood. So in the circumstances that you're talking about, that person could seek a harassment prevention order, which doesn't require that type of relationship, but does require for most situations, three or more instances of harassing or intimidating or abusive conduct. And a certain level of intent Uh, malicious intent. So what's interesting in situations like this is normally, uh, even though the conduct may objectively look harassing, or at least to a person who doesn't understand the specifics of the law, but under a harassment prevention order, you also have to show or prove, if this is in court, intent associated with that. So Hopefully in a situation like what you're talking about, I have no idea what actually happened, but uh, you hope that even if that situation goes to the police or initially to court, that it can be worked out in some way through either a mediation or a, a discussion that leads to an understanding and hopefully a greater understanding between the parties about what the perspectives were. Uh, of each other and that you can go on your way. Of course, if that happens and doesn't work, then, uh, then it's more likely that there's going to be court involvement.
0: Right. Right. And and there was a, a there was a conversation, you know, one the, the, the receiving party decided, you know, there was a conversation around, well, you can block the person and you can, you know, make sure you respond and say, no, I really don't want text like this anymore. And right. So there was that conversation on the receiver's end, and then on the other side, she, it was discussed that, you know, that type of texting can be perceived as um, intimidating um, and, you know, uncomfort- make people uncomfortable. Um, and so there, it was it was sort of like a social, right, like a social lesson that happened there. And fortunately, it didn't escalate um, beyond that other than um, disappointment on both sides because they couldn't attend these events that they really wanted to attend um, because they would both be there. So that made it very uncomfortable for them. Um, but if, of course, if it had escalated to, right, like, now I'm showing up at your house, or I'm waiting for you when you get out of work, and that kind of stuff, I would assuming that would then escalate it. And I know not every state has laws the same. So that would be something people would have to look into. Um, right. That, that seems like a, that feels like an escalation then.
1: Yes, definitely. And we've talked about examples where fortunately things worked out for the better, but normally I get involved as an attorney when they okay. haven't. So I certainly have seen where the either the misunderstanding uh, gets goes too far uh, mm-hmm. uh, before it can be an understanding, or if the behavior is really perceived as much more serious Uh, whether that's justified or not, and then law enforcement or the courts uh, step in. Another reason why it's really important uh, just more generally to educate uh, institutions and people in positions of authority, especially when it comes to uh, seeing these situations for generally what they are. Now, of course, there is some conduct, which is unacceptable, illegal, and criminal, So it's not to say that just because you're on the spectrum, you get a free pass. Right. That certainly isn't the case. It can provide context once you're in court or once you're involved with the police, hopefully context that uh, resolves the situation. Uh, But it's not to say that it's a legal excuse uh, from an attorney's perspective. That's why when. You really need to make sure people are educated before they make the decisions that can lead you into a more formal court situation or being involved with the police. Uh, For example, I have had situations where children or young adults on the spectrum react in a certain way to police involvement, uh, and the police officer or officers who may not be familiar with the individual or with the profile that the individual has will perceive the behavior one way uh, based on the presumption that this is a neurotypical uh, individual and then react uh, in that way. I see that more with young adults than younger children, but I've also seen it with younger children too. And this just goes back to that idea of a greater understanding usually leads to better outcomes for everyone involved.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And again, I uh, you bring up a good point. I don't want to um, make it seem like, and and there have been, and I have talked to parents that have felt like, well, but my my you know daughter is on spectrum, and you know they need to know that she you know she didn't know what she was doing. She doesn't understand. But but just because you have that diagnosis first doesn't necessarily mean you get a free pass like you said and and now we have to tease out what this you know what this person knows and understands and what they you know it, it becomes uh, i would say increasingly more complicated um and and so in your experience um i'm again you know so you have someone who then needs to um I don't know what the right words are because you have the better language than I do in here. But let's say, okay, you know, yes, they did something wrong. Now they have to, you know, um, either, I don't know, go to jail or maybe they have to do community service or, you know, whatever those things are. Have you found that um, they will take the diagnosis into account in what type of, um, I don't know, you know, whatever type of uh, work they have to do to fix that situation or pay for, I'm going to use the word pay in quotes, for what they have done? Like, will they change the type of, I don't know, and I'm I'm losing the word, but you can help me here, I think.
1: I would say the two main factors and how far the education of the diagnosis can go towards a resolution, those come down to the seriousness of the allegation or allegations against the person, because usually the more serious the allegation, the less likely the police and the district attorney's offices are willing to look at this type of factor as a mitigating factor, or as context and resolution. But every situation is different, and it's not to say that an attorney shouldn't bring this uh, issue to the attention of either a district attorney or the police in the right circumstances. Uh, I can't say in every situation, it's best to disclose that diagnosis. Uh, There are some times where I felt that that may raise a flag for a DA uh, because of the diagnosis. But I'd say more often than not, it is something that I decide is right in consultation with my client to bring to the attention of whatever forum uh, we're at to hope that there's a greater understanding of the circumstances of the underlying situation so that there can be a better resolution for my client in that situation, my client being the accused. So also how often has that person been in court before or been in this situation before? So if it's the first time you're in court or first time involved with the police, And certainly if it's a lesser allegation or an allegation for a lesser offense, it's more likely that you'll be able to work something out without having to worry about uh, being locked up or having a serious consequence. Uh, But if you're, let's say you had your your break (laughs) and then you're back in court for the same thing, uh, it's clearly more difficult for an attorney in my position to try and say, okay, you need to look at the context here because we did that the first time around. And Mm -hmm. I would say in Massachusetts, generally we have DAs in particular who are open to listening to this type of context uh, for a situation. But that also goes back to what I was saying before. It also depends on what the person's being accused of doing and sure. and other other factors that could be either aggravating or mitigating factors.
0: Right. And so I'm curious, you mentioned there there, there have been some times where um disclosing a diagnosis may not be helpful. Um could you give me a, an example? Because of course I have to go back there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I understand.
0: Yeah.
1: So there was a period of time, I would say earlier in my career rather than more recently, where there was a sense that some district attorney's offices would hear that someone has a mental health profile or a mental health diagnosis. And instead of seeing that as mitigating context, actually saw it as a red flag uh, to make sure that this person was being monitored by the court, the assumption being that there was some level of either predictiveness about uh, the diagnosis and future criminal conduct, or that there was a level of lack of predictiveness and therefore of concern, what that lack of predictiveness uh, would result in, and therefore there had to be uh, monitoring through the court for that person. But I would say over time, over the course of my practice, I've seen that less over time, and I've seen the pendulum swing more towards uh, a greater understanding of the situation rather than a greater concern about the situation simply based on a diagnosis, whether it's autism spectrum disorder or something else. Uh, one reason that I say this and that it's more in the past than the future is that there was a teenager at a high school in suburban metro west of Boston who killed his either girlfriend or ex-girlfriend. And he was diagnosed as being on the spectrum. And that became this issue where there was a concern within the community that it would it would essentially inform people's reactions to other people, including teenagers, who uh, may be engaging in concerning conduct uh, that they might think, oh, that's what Asperger's syndrome, I think that's the characterization yep. in that situation that they mm-hmm. used, uh, that, oh, someone with AS must be predisposed to violent conduct or. Conduct that would lead to a situation that could result in something like this. And at that time, that was a true concern, uh, and that there would be a misunderstanding of what that meant uh, for most people who are on the spectrum or had AS.
0: Right. And I think that's, uh, and I know this is, um, this can be a really difficult conversation because I think that has, I, and I get, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because there have been, you know, I'm, I'm reading an article about a similar situation and then they add that line in the article and I cringe because it's like, does that actually have to do with, right, the actions of this individual or, you know, is that just just part of his DNA like that doesn't necessarily one doesn't necessarily lead to the other and Mm -hmm. um right you get that little cringe inside just like no I don't want people to think that just because you have an ASD diagnosis that this is this is a result of that right and that's I think that happens a lot with different types of um mental health uh diagnoses yes
1: I agree yes but uh as I've said, I do think at least over the course of my my practice and dealing with a lot of people in these scenarios with any sort of uh, diagnoses, uh, there does appear to be a greater understanding on the other side, if you will, uh, about what it means to have an autism spectrum diagnosis or any number of other diagnoses, and part of it is presenting it at the right time and in the right way.
0: Hi, this is Elia. Just wanted to let you know that SSG also offers trainings, consultations, and parent coaching. Uh, Check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com, and I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that makes, that, that brings me some comfort. And I think, again, also in these last, oh, I would say maybe 10 years, uh, just in my experience, things have, you know, there's much more light being shed specifically on autism and, and other mental health um, diagnoses around, you know, better understanding of them and not, um, you know, just I guess, pigeonholing a set of characteristics. Uh, And so I think, uh, just again, it's that broader sense of education through media or through whatever channels, more training, more understanding, more learning. And so we share as much as we can so people can have a, a broader picture of what's happening and not have that narrow focus. So I guess it means that all of our, <laughs> all of our efforts to educate and train, you know, between a collective group of people is, um, is helping, which I think uh, is encouraging.
1: Yeah, there's another educational aspect to this. And it's a more personal one for the person on the spectrum. So it's, there are two parties there. So let's Mm -hmm. talk about the police. We've done that. Now let's talk about the the person who's diagnosed uh, with ASD to help develop those types of skills. Uh, So when you're talking about social skills, daily living skills, that could be interacting with the police, whether or not you are uh, being investigated for criminal conduct or being suspected of it. But that is something in our society that people have to deal with. So you know that there is a likelihood that you could be interacting with a police officer. And how do you do that in an appropriate way? Interacting with a police officer is different than interacting with just any other person. Uh, But it's going to be an unknown person, it's going to be a person in a position of authority, it's a person who's going to speak to you in a certain way. And all of those things are, or tend to be more difficult for people who are on the spectrum. So educating that person, whether it's like a social story, or role playing, or uh, any sort of education that could help that person. And I know AANE around here, I'm pretty sure even on their website, they have like a you a list of things or reminders that you can print out and laminate and make your own card and put in your wallet or your purse uh, as a reminder for this is what I should be doing. Uh, if I if I have an interaction with the police, of course, inter- their interactions with the police may be happening so quickly you can't uh, take out the card, but it is something to reinforce this idea that uh, you can essentially be trained <laughs> uh, for that interaction because that is a really s- significant interaction in anyone's life and it can have significant consequences if it goes awry.
0: Yeah, I think on their site um, there is that like the, a card that. Uh, in- adults or young adults can um, hold and carry with them to present um, if they should get pulled over or get questioned um, that they can use. And there's actually, I think, a video there, but there's also a video um, and you might, I'm trying to remember, there is a woman who um, who's also an, a special needs attorney in Florida and I'm losing her name right now. Um, But she created a really great video. I think it's Collier County uh, around what an interaction could look like. And so it is sort of like a role play scenario uh, Mm -hmm. of what, what behaviors someone might demonstrate that uh, could be misinterpreted by law enforcement or by like a store owner or something like that, where they might call the police. Um, so it's it was it's a really great little video. So as I post the um, you know yeah. our our conversation, I will put that in there. But um, but you know it's funny um, at A&E I did a training around interacting with healthcare professionals, um, and it was done with a small group of adults and you know something we could do something like this with law enforcement like what does that interaction look like and of course when even if it's something as a traffic stop very simple which would you know for most of us that seems yeah it's uncomfortable but it's simple um that can be very anxiety provoking Mm -hmm. uh and not know you're right like not understanding what did i do and why am i getting pulled over and then just that heightened anxiety could then lead to behavior or actions that can be misinterpreted so like I think that kind of social training around that would be um, could be a really good uh, thing, and I, I wonder, I wonder if there are people doing that. I'm sure, I hope somebody's doing that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I hope so out there. Yeah, whether it's on um, an individual basis or a small group basis, sure. but definitely something to look into. Uh, I, sure. Certainly, uh, whoever the trusted individual is uh, in that person's life, whether it's a parent or guardian or friend or therapist. It could start there,
0: yeah, absolutely, and I think um, as parents we, we we have we sometimes you know we get caught up when when our kids are younger um, in di- you know there's different challenges that we have to think about, but sometimes we miss some of these types of things and um, because we don't you know we haven't thought that far through or we don't expect we also have our own lens of how we see our kids um, and we don't always know how you know, things might appear on the outside, and um, and so that is something that we should think about. I think also educators working with our folks need to think about that too, especially if they're helping them with life skills, um, and, and those doing the social stories, like the speech therapists working, this could be part of that curriculum as well as part of the transition, I'm thinking, could be really uh, helpful as well. Um, And I also, I want to kind of go down, you know, kind of step back a little bit with um, you had mentioned uh, looking at inappropriate images online. And uh, again, I know another hot button for many people. (laughs) Um, But what we're talking about here when you're saying inappropriate images, going down that kind of rabbit hole, we're talking about um, things that would be considered illegal. Yes.
1: Yes. Right. So. As a general matter, children and adolescents online, uh, whether you have an ASD diagnosis or not, can put themselves in situations that are technically criminal, but from my perspective, don't really take into account their immaturity, their impulsivity, their lack of understanding of potential consequences, whether they're moral (laughs) or illegal uh, (laughs) consequences. And then that level of immaturity can also extend to young adults and adults who are on the spectrum in a similar sense, that lack of understanding uh, about the situation. So that could be either something that's personal and direct, like taking photographs or videos and sending them or asking for them. Uh, certainly, when it's to consenting adults, then that's fine. But once there's someone under 18 involved, it's almost certainly not uh, uh, depending on the circumstances or maybe not even depending on the circumstances. You just have to assume that it's not Uh, So I have had situations where I've seen young adults who are 18 and over on the spectrum. And then it involves someone who's under 18. uh, And then also two people who are under 18, whether or not they're on uh, the spectrum. Then I've seen indirect uh, situations like this, uh, procuring inappropriate images or pornography that is illegal Uh, online, and then being caught up in either a police sting, or uh, something like that. And in my take on it, sometimes, uh, for people on the spectrum, that is a combination of relative immaturity, social immaturity, not understanding truly why Certain things are criminal, and then also perceptive conduct, uh, an inability to let go of something, uh, and wrapping all those things up together is a recipe for uh, doing something that's likely going to get the attention of the police.
0: Right. Right. And and, and again-
1: all of those things you can try and educate someone about. Uh, That seems to be my theme in this talk is is education. It's interesting that I keep coming back to that. So we talked about educating people with potential interactions with the police, but I would say even more important because of the prevalence um, of online interactions uh, is making sure that people are educated with the proper use of the internet. And all kids and all young adults can have uh, yes. can need that education. Uh, but when you uh, add the layers of lack of, I would say, normative sophistication around these things um, that you that a neurotypical person may learn or hopefully learn uh, in the course of development, uh, that that someone on the spectrum may not pick up on those uh, because of the nature of of their profile and need that extra support and instruction on what is and is not appropriate when you're online.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, again, this particular topic, I mean, both topics can be um, difficult conversations, but, you know, sex and sexuality and pornography are hard conversations for families to have in general. And I'm pretty sure schools want to stay away from it too. But um, with that said, some schools do have like a broader um, sex education uh, curriculum, and then this could fall, you know, it has fall uh, under one of like one of the topics. But uh, I think definitely having these open conversations can be so valuable, I think, um, especially with, you know, a It with those I work with, really like transparency and really want very direct communication, in fact, have to have that very explicit, direct conversation to understand um, in most cases. So, you know, while these conversations can be super uncomfortable to have, they can really make a huge difference. And so um, I agree. Yeah.
1: Definitely a huge difference, because some of the things that we're talking about lead to incarceration
0: (laughs) let's let's make no mistake about it
1: that (laughs) it's better to have the tough conversation in advance than to be looking at years in jail afterward
0: absolutely and and that kind of leads me to another and And i I should say registering as a sex offender uh yes yes which is this does not help um sorry to be blunt about it but (laughs) that's
1: part of why i'm here right
0: Yeah. And no, I think, again, this is, you know, I know in this topic, I felt very strongly about presenting it to, you know, the audience that's listening in. Um, and and it is uncomfortable. But um, I also want to, again, educate. This is, you know, it has actually just boiled down to that kind of a conversation. But um, I, ra- like you said, I rather have the tough conversation. And if, if someone listening to this says, oh, wow, maybe I really need to have that conversation with my kid, or as an adult says, oh, wow, maybe I've done something like that. And now I realize maybe I shouldn't do stuff like that, um, or be more aware of what I'm looking at, um, and learn more then okay, maybe one, one less person can get you know, caught up in, um, like you said, incarceration or you know whatever. I think uh, then then we've done our job here. I think, right? <laughs> you know, and and I I would say there's there's maybe like one other area that um you know, and it's also again. I think sometimes through an online, uh, and and maybe it's twofold. One is vulnerable to, um, you know, scams that are out there. And I think you kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, And the other is getting uh, connected to uh, various fanatical groups. I know um, I worked with a young adult who did get... um, you know, kind of caught up in a cult situation, which, which which we would define as that. Um, But in essence was living, you know, a fulfilling, okay life, I think. So, so you wonder, like, how does that, uh, where, where do we make the judgments of how someone chooses to live their life versus something that can be, um, you know, detrimental to their well-being. And and sometimes I think we're not sure about that. Um, But before we even get to that type of a conversation, which I think is another one, um, you know, just kind of getting connected to some of these types of groups or people because of maybe lack of social understanding or, again, that need to feel connected. Um, Is that something that you've experienced as well in your practice?
1: For the online scams, they are savvy. They cast a broad net and get a lot of people scammed, whether or not you're on the spectrum. Though <laughs> I do true. think those types of scams, uh, people on the spectrum can be particularly vulnerable to them, uh, due to how savvy the scams are. Right. Uh, and in terms of education on that, you know, I think uh, whoever is working with the the person on the spectrum can be very concrete about things that you don't do when you get emails from someone you don't know. In fact, I think probably having an ASD diagnosis or having that profile, once you hear that, you're probably more locked into uh, to avoiding the scam than than the average person. Uh, you just have to hear it first. Uh and then, in terms of uh, being drawn into cults or cults of personality or whatever, uh, it springs up an interesting issue about autonomy, individual, individuality. Just because you are on the spectrum doesn't mean you have to sacrifice uh, those things. It does mean that you likely have to be more proactively aware of the situations you get yourself into because you can understand yourself and know that it's more difficult for you on the surface of things uh, to potentially identify people of concern, behaviors of concern. And that's a lot about self-education and then understanding that and understanding how you can develop the skills that are necessary to avoid getting yourself in hot water or being led down a path uh, that can be detrimental to you and the people around you.
0: Yeah. And again, it feels like that's another type of conversation. I mean, honestly, I think all all the things we've talked about as far as educating um are conversations that I feel um, need to be had with all all young people, kind of you know, emerging adults. I guess I'll use that term and young adults, um, where you know, again, super uncomfortable, and you might get the eye rolls, or you might get the "I know this already," or "Oh my gosh, why are you talking to me about this?" Um, but you know, again, I think this is relevant for all young people because I don't think Definitely. it's as intuitive sometimes as we think. Um, until, you know, something happens and we say, oh, I, I thought you would have known not to do that. And and the truth is, maybe um, they were never told. It's, it reminds me, I don't know if you remember, but years ago with uh, with smoking. They had said that parents who talk to their kids about, maybe it's alcohol too, I don't know, but who talk to their um, kids about not smoking, right? You might get the eye roll. You might get the, yeah, yeah, I know that already. But like having just just opening the door to the conversation at least raises awareness and might change behavior um, and, and makes, you know, you're someone think a little bit and go, oh, maybe I remember someone telling me about this and that maybe I shouldn't do this. And if you Mm -hmm. get that little flag in your head that that can that can be that voice that pulls you back a little bit. Yeah. And
1: when you're on the spectrum, you can often have other diagnoses uh, along with it and putting those together may make the situation even more difficult. You had mentioned anxiety before. There's ADHD. There can be hyperactivity and impulsivity that go along with that and executive functioning challenges. And you throw all those things together and it makes it (laughs) even more uh, difficult uh, to avoid finding yourself in a situation that can be difficult to get out of or difficult to deal with at the very least. So I I agree that for all young people that they need to be educated in one way or another, hopefully parents or guardians or caretakers are doing that or collateral professionals in their life. But for uh, those on the spectrum, especially with additional diagnoses, uh, along with them uh, being very direct, forthright, Um, purposeful about making sure that they understand these possibilities that are out there and the things that they need to do that go essentially above and beyond what most other people need to do uh, to protect themselves from either making a mistake that's going to get them in trouble uh, as the accused or not understanding a situation and then being victimized as a result.
0: Right. And then I also, you know, given all of the different uh, factors that you mentioned, if, um, you know, there are, there are, you know, there is incarceration or some type of, um, what's the word I'm looking for when I'm, when I'm saying like the consequence of. A disposition is a yeah, word that's used. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, that w- given, you know, uh, an ASD diagnosis and anxiety and possibly executive function and social, right. It, so to, to have someone like that incarcerated or in some other type of facility, um, that is, that to me would be worse right we're going to use that oh yeah again. it can <laughs> it
1: can be particularly difficult and then you may find yourself in a criminal hospital setting which depending on the person and the setting could be even worse and then you may be facing a civil mental health commitment separate from the criminal aspect of it, whether you are incarcerated as a punishment for a crime or whether you're being held prior to trial uh, for whatever reason, either bail was set and can't be paid or you're held without bail. If you're in a scenario and you have these diagnoses and you basically can't handle being in a jail, you know most people probably can't handle being in a jail, but then you uh pile these on things on too, and it's even more difficult and you might find yourself uh moved to a hospital setting and then you might find yourself the focus of a petition for civil commitment and then you might be stuck in that system for even longer than you would have been uh, you know held in custody uh for the criminal case it is definitely something that can spiral out of control. So to whatever can be done at the outset, so you don't have to go down that path, uh, the better it is to be done then.
0: Right. And so that's, I mean, I think that's probably a really good way to kind of summarize is, For anyone that's feeling uncomfortable with having these conversations um, or uncomfortable with learning more about how to protect themselves from both sides, um, you know, the discomfort of that research and the discomfort of having those conversations or seeking help from um, like you said, some other provider that you work with or, you know, an educator or another trusted person, um, it is more important to move past that discomfort than to end up in a situation where some of those resources may be not available to you. Um, and then, you know, you're it's it's and I've heard <laughs> how difficult it is. So, um, so I think for me, that's sort of a, a you know the kind of the hitting it home for the people listening in is do that yeah, research, and you know I would be remiss
1: if I did not say very clearly if there is police involvement or you're concerned about police involvement, then find an attorney immediately so you can get legal advice as to what to do next because you want to make sure that you or the person you're caring for or helping out with is legally protected because there's a lot at stake.
0: Yes. Thank you for that. Yeah. I think that's clear. That's, um, important information. And so, um, I will put all of your contact information again in the description. So if people need to reach out to you now, if they need, uh, again, we have people from all over listening in, um, are you able to help people find, um, attorneys or resources in other parts of the country?
1: I can do that, but, My advice is if you're in a state outside of Massachusetts, that you go to a local network, whether it's the state or local bar association or go to an attorney, you know, professionally or personally to ask for a recommendation. I'm happy to be part of that list of people you go to, but I couldn't promise that I would know someone in the locality and it's best to go straight uh, to the local and state Uh, people to try and find someone because normally, well, not normally, but sometimes you're looking for someone immediately. And I, I very likely wouldn't be able to help out with that.
0: Right. That makes sense. Okay. Well, cool. Thank you so much for Mm -hmm. all of that information. And again, you know, um, I want to end with this is not necessarily a common occurrence with... um, No, right. Yeah. You know, in my line of work,
1: it is common because that's what I do. But I I really don't think that these... Worst case scenarios, I will call them, happen that frequently, but they do happen. And when they happen to you or someone you know, then it doesn't matter how rare
0: they are for everyone else,
1: because it is something really important
0: in your life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So thank you so much. I will put your information um, up. And then uh, again, you know, thank you again for sharing your time. Yes, thank you again, Ilya. All right, take care. Yep, you too. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. I also offer training, consultations, and parent coaching and would love to help you in any way that I can. You can check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com. And when you join my email list, you can get a code to receive a discount off of an online class or a coaching session. Looking forward to hearing from you. Take care and see you next time.